Welcome to Under the Tooth, the podcast which aims to bring dentistry right to your ear. From general dentistry, specialty training and everything in between. My name's Inas. And my name's Asha and today we have our special guest Dr Natalie Bradley on our podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So we are so excited to have you on our podcast today and commitment because she's came all the way from the other end of London to come and sit with us and have a chat today. So thanks, we appreciate it. And we are going to just delve straight into the details today and we want to find out a little bit more about you. Um, So firstly, we want to know your typical working week as a dentist. What do you do? (laughs) I don't think I ever have a typical working week. I literally do something different on every single day of the week. Um, So my week uh, is composed of two main roles. Uh, One is my SDR training in special care dentistry and one is a a clinical fellowship with the Office of Chief Dental Officer Scheme. So uh, Monday to Wednesday is typically my um, SDR training and that's split, really can be split between three sites. So I'm like, I know, I'm all over (laughs) London and the South East. And I think I'm the only person who actually knows where I'm supposed to be each day because no one else can track my diary. (laughs) I've had to share it with my consultants and line managers and they're like, yeah, that looks all right. (laughs) Uh, So I just turn up and they're like, oh yeah, you're supposed to be here today, aren't you? Um, So I might be, um, so I do a day a month at the Royal Hospital for Neurodisability, which is in Putney. So we have a specially adapted wheelchair tipper dental chair. It's the first wheelchair tipper in the UK. um, And we see the inpatients who are in that hospital who are people who have suffered from brain injuries. So they might have um, an acquired brain injury from trauma or from a cardiac arrest or stroke or be in a road traffic accident um, or have progressive disease like motor neuro disease and Huntington's. Um, so we see, I see patients there. Um, I see patients at Guy's Hospital uh, in the special care department there and that's generally most days there I spend majority of my time providing intravenous and inhalation sedation. Um, Wednesdays is a pretty consistent day because I have to be in theatre all day um, and that's down in East Surrey Hospital so it's a hospital near Gatwick Airport and again seeing special care patients I do a whole morning of general anaesthetic there for mostly learning disability patients um, and then afternoon of sedation or an afternoon of inpatient theatre um, and then Thursdays and Fridays I spend doing my fellowship and that can take me all across the country um, I'm supposed to be based in the South East so I will um, go into the NHS England offices there with the commissioners based in the dental team there um, the projects I'm working on are working on the procurement process around community dental services and general dental services across cancer Sussex in the South East um, but then as part of that as Ashley you will know that you will go to other events across the country with the office chief dental officer and other um, events and yeah so it's a busy week so not the typical working week then no. definitely not so it's, sometimes my my week might have two days of clinical work in it sometimes it'll have three um sometimes I do bank shifts back in East London where I set up a mobile dental service because I always um well because I set it up it's like my baby so <laughs> I can't not go back every so often and do Can't a bank shift no. uh, so uh, then I'll sometimes I like to do a bit cl- more clinical work so it's um yeah definitely a very very varied week and I definitely have to double check my diary in the morning to make sure I know where I'm going <laughs> you go to the right place at the right time <laughs> you were talking about your mobile dental service that you've set up now we want to know a little bit more about that so please will you let us know so um, a few years ago um, in London, when they recommissioned community dental services, they identified a specific need for a service for, to treat homeless people in some areas of London. The service I worked in, in East London, um, we were given um, a remit to set up a service. Um, I spent 
um, a good year and a half doing a lot of background work, um, going out into the community, um, screening outreach, trying to bring people into clinics, bringing this population of people to clinic often was quite troublesome. They're quite nomadic, they're sporadic in their attendance. Um, so with a lot of evidence and arguing and, uh, yeah, some work, uh, <laughs> managed to secure additional funding from the commissioners to set up a mobile service. Um, so it's a dental van uh, with, you know, what it says on the tin with a dental with a dental chair in the back of it. Amazing. And we take that across um, six or seven different sites in East London um, and we provide the dental treatment directly at the hostel day centre that the homeless people are at. And actually I've shown that in terms of efficiency and you know if you want to look at UDAs or you want to look at time used or you want to know how many patients we've seen it seems much more efficient use of resources and you create much more of an impact that way than just saying come to clinic um, is, that, is that regular people you see there or is it new people every single time it varies so we give um we have kind of a walk-in slot or we have patients who might want to come back regularly for having their denture made, for example. Um, so it's a mixture, although we are quite lenient and as flexible as we can be because mm. you have to be for that sort of population. Appointment times don't really mean too much. You generally just tell them, we're going to be here on a day, just make sure you're here at some point and I will see you. Um, and it's really working together as a team and, and with where, whichever site you're at. Some yeah. stakeholders are so, so, so engaged. Um, day centres will know you're coming and know that I've been seeing certain people, so mm. they will make them know that the dentist is coming tomorrow, make sure you come, make yeah. sure you come. Um, and I had a really good lady who was like our link worker who act between, was the, like, the conduit between the clinical service and the, um, the actual wherever we were going. So we'd go out and um, if I had a gap, go and commandeer a person. Like, <laughs> we've got a gap, come on the dental van, <laughs> come on the dental van. Oh, um, so she was compl- absolutely key... Um, uh, person to be in our team team player and how was it in order to set that up I mean obviously getting assistance getting a van it's not going to be really easy to just put a little chair in there so they would have to set that up into a bit of a clinic how did you manage to get help with yeah, that yeah so van dental vans um were very popular if you uh, maybe 10 15 years ago oh. most community dental services had their own van and they use it for different things because like you imagine having a mobile services can really help some populations of people whether that be going to a care home going to special schools or going to treat people in, um who are homeless um so our service had one, had a van, but it wasn't being used. It had been parked up for a year and a half and hadn't been um, oh serviced. Um, so that resource, I was looking, there was that resource there to kind of plug into. It was just trying to argue, can we have a bit more money to get it up, to get it up and running? And it took a long... So there's, I learned there's lots of other things around... Um, providing a clinical service and just saying I've got a dentist I've got a nurse let's sort it out it's like yeah we've got this van where are we going to park it in central London <laughs> oh okay that took six months <laughs> and then making sure it's serviced and there's someone to drive it so you have to have a driver because there's no way would I be able to drive that van <laughs> I don't even think my license would let me to be honest and I wouldn't want to drive it your insurance would go up sky high <laughs> exactly oh, so you've got someone just to drive we van. have drive. Wow. we had drivers in our service yeah. um, so they did other things so, but 
um, we had our head. So these are things that we wouldn't necessarily think about. Yeah, um, exactly. Unless you're setting this sort of service up, yeah. and then you come to the problem of who's going to drive this? Exactly. Everyone says not me. Train them up as well. Nursing, they could end up where they jail. Or are they just chauffeurs <laughs> at that time, or do you help out with? Uh, so, um, they, he, our driver was amazing. He's an ex-copper, oh. um, so he was so good to be on. If we were so, some services we park in, um, you know, off-street parking, but some soup kitchens and things we have to park on the street, mm-hmm. and there are security and risk assessments that are assessed with that. Uh, come with that and it was great when he'd get the air because you're like I've got a copper who's here and acting my security guard so yeah, some random person comes up, and of course you treat sometimes you're treating the population that you're treating can be you know we used to park up in one of those um actually very close where I live now um a soup kitchen that you know regularly you see you look out the back window when someone's shooting up behind your yeah. van and you're like okay this, you know we've got NHS plastered all over this van why are you choosing to you know Do to it, use yeah. there but um so you know you have to think about staff safety and working and um working on a remote site as well yeah um and um getting parking to park on a street so some borough councils were amazing let us say yep you can have free parking suspensions you just have to make sure you put it in in a certain amount of time and we will it was great they spray paint the floor and put dental van (laughs) so no one no one would park there Good old parking space in London. (laughs) But then there were some other boroughs who weren't very receptive and tried to charge our service to do parking suspensions. So then we had to find other ways to get around it. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just constantly problem solving when you're doing a service like that, when you're setting something up. Um, Now it's more established. I've kind of just, I've just kind of taken a back seat and um, because I've got so many other things going on. (laughs) Uh, um, Other people in the service are kind of, and I said, yeah, but I kind of do just like, drop, drop a line so, in and go, how's it going, guys? <laughs> How are things going? And and actually, they're so, 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 so busy. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. We've been up and running for over a year now. Um, last time I checked in, we've seen over, like, 350 patients in that time, patient contacts. Um, oh, that's a lot. And we only go out twice, maximum twice a week. Oh, okay. The capacity so not, what, yeah. we, what we can go out with, because we share the van with a... It goes to the forensic mental health unit in us in in the area as well. Okay. So, um, it's got multiple uses. What do they use the van for? So the if forensic mental health um, unit in Hackney that we provide a service for, the, the patients used to have to come to our clinics. Mm-hmm. These patients often um, have to then be okay. escorted by four or five security guards. You're mixing them in the same waiting room as your vulnerable so children. For dental things. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. So okay. one of our dentists goes there, sure. goes there and then sees patients actually within the institute. Because some patients aren't even allowed out um, mm. in terms of what their permissions are to yeah. be allowed out of the unit anyway. Um, so, yeah. We've so learned to share. Massive bring, achievement. Bring the dentist to them as opposed to... <laughs> Yes, like most of these populations, yeah. so you need to go to them rather than come to you because you're just there and you know your ivory tower or you're, you know, jumping through the hoops to get to a service. If you bring a service to them, then you know you really access a group of patients that might not be able to seek care anywhere else. Yeah. It seems like you're doing a lot of different um, aspects of special care. So you're dealing with homelessness. You're also involved in you know, anxiety control. You're doing sedation, general anaesthetic as well. Mm-hmm. But like, what attracted you to becoming a special care dentist in SPR? Um, I think my my f- what got me into special care initially was I used to work in a um, very busy walk-in emergency uh, clinic in London, and um, my interactions with special care patients walking into emergency clinics where they can't access care anywhere else really, really 
really shocked me that day. They were like, oh, we can't... A lot of people were homeless, actually. After a while, the head of the department was like, oh, if anyone's a bit special care, Natalie will see them. Make sure Natalie will see them. <laughs> you <laughs> became the, the go-to. Yeah. Maybe that's it. She, she saw that I really enjoyed treating them and actually yeah. spending time with them. But it's, it wasn't necessarily the treatment that you provide for them. It's the fact that you take that time to be able to find a solution for them and think outside the box and problem-solve. And actually think about tailoring the way you approach care for them. And it's not, you know, oh, we're going to do another DO amalgam. It's we're going to provide a filling for someone who really struggles to access care otherwise or be able to tolerate treatment without a bit of sedation. Um, and we do some crazy, crazy stuff uh, in, in special care. I mean, we're currently writing up a paper where um, we provided a, a domiciliary general anaesthetic and even saying those words made me feel a bit wow. sick inside. <laughs> so um, we do things that are really like pushing the boundaries of dentistry, yeah. not in terms of the treatment we provide, but how we provide it and the yeah. treatment patients that we see it in. And I really, really find that challenging. I don't ever think I'll ever get bored of that. There's a variety and I think there's a lot of different things that you can mm. do in your... Um, speciality um would you what advice would you give to people that were wanting to get into the speciality or if they're interested in special care where can they find out a bit more information on like what you get up to or what a special care dentist would do yeah so um i'm a blogger you'll probably know that um yes i basically document my whole life in dentistry on my blog tooth germ so i've done lots of blogs about my my the week in the life of or what a sort of thing that i get up to during my week so if you otherwise I'd recommend just getting in touch with your local CDS and go and do some shadowing with them even you're a dental student you know use those contacts while you can the time where you can to go and have a look at um to see what stuff is out there um certainly as a dental student I got no it's pretty much no exposure to special care um so if you have that experience as a dental student make the most of it I know some universities really have really really good special care departments in the hospitals um if you're a general dentist I think just teaming up with your CDS and seeing what you can learn from them go on courses um or join societies like the British Society of Disability and Oral Health they do conferences twice a year um and I think it's something that as general dentists we should all be interested in because the population of this sort of of these sort of patients is growing people are getting older living longer people learn disabilities are living longer and um, the patient that you might have been seeing for 20 30 years may develop a cognitive problem later on and actually is then referring them off to a special care dentist the best thing for them probably not probably to come in to see the same dentist they've been seeing for the past 20 years actually will optimize the care they can have and it's the best place for them to be seen um, so learning those skills and practice so then you, when these patients do come through your door you don't feel overwhelmed because it can be quite overwhelming seeing these patients and having the support network and the knowledge there is really really important definitely and I think that there's like an overlap as well between special care even oral surgery primary care because of people living longer and medically compromised patients mm-hmm. as well it's like where is that boundary between it being an oral surgery patient or whether it's a special care and I think a bit more multidisciplinary working is going to be the future um, within all the specialities really to be honest and and primary care linking in with that as well so oh the future what it holds (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of overlap between what special care does do and a lot of other people do as well Um, especially with anxiety control I know know a lot of all surgeons do sedation and even general dentists um but yeah, I think there's a lot of skills that you can gain from doing special care, mm-hmm. which are easily transferred to back into practice. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's quite a nice specialty. I mean, we had a good time. <laughs> we had a really good time learning. Um, we did special care at university. Yeah. And I, I loved it. It was really, really good. Um, yeah, it, was, it was really nice to do, actually. Um, probably the favourite thing was seeing um, intranasal. Yeah, yeah. Them. 
Um, Ambushing, I call it. <laughs> <laughs> they, they actually let us try it with, uh, with, with water just in our nose. Yeah. And it just, it, no, not, not with Dazdam, just with water. Oh, okay. Like, it stings, it stings <laughs> Not that I've had it done. It just, it just, felt, it just feels like you really could like clean your nose. <laughs> It's good to know in the ass. I'll be giving Mayla a little squirt to see. No, I think they really. You didn't get nosebleed, do you? Because recently, whenever time I've been doing it, I'm like, you do it, and you're like, yeah, that's really good. But turn around, there's blood just coming out of the nose. You're like, um, it's fine. This is a normal side effect. That's what happens. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And you were talking about the tooth germ as well. Mm. We were talking about it being a little wee blog or whatever, Mm. but it's not. Four hundred thousand views you've had, haven't you? (laughs) Over that. So yeah, guys, if you've not checked it out, then make sure that you do because you'll get a lot of info and exciting (laughs) information on that one. So your day-to-day typical or non-typical week <laughs> that you've got, what is your hobbies and interests outside of dentistry? So everyone knows that um, dentists are kind of a lot dedicated and very passionate and sometimes just solely to dentistry as a profession, but actually a lot of people don't understand that there's a, another world outside there as well and a lot yeah. of dentists have other hobbies and interests. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you get up to? Um, I spend a lot of my time going to music concerts. Um, I spend a lot of time and money. And actually, recently, (laughs) um, I came home after a a few days in a row of going to a few. I was like, my hearing doesn't feel great. I need to calm this down. Um, But yeah, I love going to concerts. I'm into like um, metal and hardcore music. So we went to Download Festival recently, which was very muddy, but very fun. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, really into music. Um, I always say I'm going to teach myself an uh, instrument I mean I've got a ukulele I'm trying um, I can only play You Are My Sunshine on it so far um, oh, should so, have brought it in today oh, could have given us a little stage fright I'd be like no I can't do it that'll be your new theme tune <laughs> <laughs> we'll hit you up after we'll discuss this <laughs> I don't think you want it. After all the auditions, you'd be like, nah, she's out. <laughs> be like, guys, here's our live performance. <laughs> we'll get you back on. <laughs> uh, but I also have um, three bunny rabbits. So they, Ooh, they take up a lot of my time, actually, much more than I thought they would. Um, but I've always wanted a pet when I was younger. What, what do you feed a bunny rabbit? So, uh, such a weird question. No, it's, an, it's, it's something, you know, actually, you shouldn't really feed them lettuce. You shouldn't that, that feed them lettuce. That was the first thing that came to mind. Feed, yeah. Feed them lettuce. And carrots only as treats. There's too much sugar in carrots, and then they can get caries in their teeth. Oh wow! Do you brush their teeth? No, no, no. <laughs> Not too far. <laughs> Just check. When you are a dentist, them to brush them. What do you feed them? Uh, they have special uh, rabbit pellets. Like, okay. So I feed them that. And also just green leafy vegetables. Um, so just a mixture. They love coriander. Coriander is their crack. Like, honestly, <laughs> they'll do anything for coriander or parsley, actually. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Coriander. And what are their names? Um, they're really... Sorry, this is a bit embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> So we have three because at the time we got three, I was living with my boyfriend and his young brother. So we all named one each. Mine's called Kiwi because he's an all black bunny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, then uh, my boyfriend's one is called Goenka. Oh. So we got the bunny rabbits um, when he went away for a 10 day meditation retreat, silent meditation retreat. Um, so he was completely uncontactable and he 
floated the idea before he went. And as a surprise, me and his brother were like, yeah, should we just get them while he's away? Um, so we got them, and there was a nice surprise when he came home. He's like, oh my God, you actually got bunny rabbits. Um, so he named his bunny rabbit after the um, the person who just... They the named the, the retreat after. Oh, wow. So he named... And then the other one's called Justice, who's a lead, the name of the lead singer of a band. Oh. So they're not something like... Um, like Flopsy Mopsy and Cottontail would have been quite cute, <laughs> but none of them had a cottontail, so... Nah, we need to keep it unique. I mean... <laughs> They're all very interesting names. They all have something behind <laughs> them, yeah. <laughs> so if you weren't a dentist, would you be a vet? <laughs> I did consider being oh, a vet, wow. but um, I can't deal with animal death. Like, I remember finding a cat by the side of the road when we were younger, and I forced my mum to pick it up and take it to the vets, and it had to be put down, and I was just devastated for days. Um, so I don't think... And also I'm allergic to cats. Oh. Context is that as well. Um so um, if I wasn't a dentist, I'd really love to be an artist or have an Etsy store. Um, recently, I thought I wanted to be a venture capitalist because it would just be nice to just spend other people's money and decide where to invest. But I don't know if I have the skills for that. I'll just get too excited by everyone else's ideas and think, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, have money. Um, yeah. Well, that'll be your next project, then, wouldn't it? The dental dragon's dead. Yeah. Just chucking money at everyone. <laughs> What's your idea? Yep, love it. <laughs> love it. Sorted. I've run out of money, guys. <laughs> Come back in. Yes. You said like you're managing to fit so much in as well, like on a weekly basis, but mm-hmm. do you find like that there's challenges or have you faced anything from undergrad to now that you feel you would like to give advice to undergrads about or that you feel you've overcame? Yeah, I think it's... Um, I take on a lot and it's not for everybody, and I don't think everyone should do it. And um, it's fine if you want to, but you've just got to be realistic about um, your own health and your your own self-care. Um, there was a period... So um, back in April, lots of things were going on. I had all these projects going on. It was basically, I started my SDR training and fellowship at the same time. And the first thing was starting the job, you're kind of just like treading water, trying to get used to everything. And then it got to like April time where actually loads of projects were coming in, loads of deadlines. And then I'm also bought a house during that time. And then I broke my fingers oh, wow. um, playing dodgeball, which is one of the other hobbies that I've now given up. <laughs> <laughs> Early retirement. Um, so that all happened. I felt really, really overwhelmed one day. And I just felt I can't, I can't do today. Like I just need to not do today and I think it's okay to admit to yourself that actually recognizing when you're not okay and just taking some time to, to then reflect on it and rather than just going I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine because otherwise you'll burn out and you'll crash so I think it's just reflecting on what your own self-health is like and just being realistic about what you can achieve and um, it could be you are doing working six days a week and that's absolutely fine for you it could be working three days a week or half day or whatever it might be and whatever your personal circumstances are as well that might dictate the time so just being honest and not following what you expect everyone else is doing to be the norm um just you, whatever is good for you is good for you doesn't care doesn't matter about anyone else I think that's like amazing advice because I think that there's so many expectations and there's so much pressure and specifically in our profession as well and lots of people doing lots of different things people looking at it like oh no I should be doing that even though it's not something they want to do mm-hmm. um, and I think you know you're in a management position as well or a leadership position so you're getting faced with quite large scale things as well so it's a lot of pressure to take so yeah, I think I might need to take that advice. I'm going to go home and for reflect on that. Thank you. <laughs> Agony aunt. Lastly, I think she's going to add another string to her bowl. <laughs> Just give me a bun. 
But um, so in terms of guidelines, special care, so this isn't something that's widely available, I wouldn't say, for the dental profession. Obviously, we've got the SD set, the NICE guidelines, mm-hmm. we've got specific oral surgery ones, we've got perio ones. In terms of special care, I mean, is there a specific guidelines that is your go-to or that you would say, do you know what, have this downloaded in your practice or... Um, in the hospitals or mm. it's hard because um special care is never you can put people into boxes sort mm. of specialty so writing a guideline is sometimes so tricky like um i was talking with my colleagues today about how do we write a, a guideline for people who've got learned disabilities what treatment they should have in the ga and actually there's such a broad spectrum of patients with learned disabilities you're never going to treat them in the same way um but if you wanted to look at stuff um that kind of relates special care and the british society of disability and oral health have do have some guidelines on their websites that are quite useful things about um you know clinical holding guidelines um um, treatment of patients under general anaesthesia, um, domiciliary guidelines, so all those sort of things I would uh, go to. Um, a lot of the SD set stuff you can apply to special care, so all the bisphosphonate stuff, anticoagulant, all of your medical stuff, there's lots of stuff out there f- I think you can follow, which would be the same as oral surgery because the way you manage the patient would be the same, but again, there's overlap. And of course, all the other guidelines that you mentioned you can apply to a special care patient because they probably have perio or, you know, um, whatever, you know, what specialty it is because although it's a specialty it it provides all dentistry for that patient just in a you know in specific groups of patients so you can still apply the guidelines to them yeah definitely so what patients do special so who who which patients do special care dentists see because mm-hmm. i think that would be a question that a lot of people would ask as well yeah so which patients should we if we're working in practice refer to a special care dentist i think you'd have to um it varies it varies across areas of the country and yeah. how what how things are commissioned but generally special care just means anyone who can't access care by a general dentist because of medical problems because of social problems because of physical disabilities so I'd say in terms of our in every place I work I see kind of different core sets of special care patients but bread and butter is you know people with really complex medical problems who need things that aren't just extractions because they usually go to oral surgery but if they need more comprehensive care then that's something a special care dentist might be able to offer um physical disabilities that stop them being able to get into a dental chair so if they're in the wheelchair they can't transfer if they need to be hoisted um or they need a, if they need a bariatric chair or a chair that can take a higher weight um someone with a learning disability who can't tolerate treatment just under local anaesthetic and a bit of climatization um substance abuse severe mental health problems not just a little bit of depression anxiety but you know severe impactful mental health problems that are impacting their care maybe they don't have capacity consent Patients who are, who've got advanced dementia, cognitive issues, tremors, anyone who needs sedation. Some special care dentists will see phobics. Some don't. Depends what your local criteria is. Um, some of them might go to a sedation practice, like you said, or might go to oral surgery if it's just for oral surgery procedures. Um, and a lot of special care dentists in community also see children because CDS is traditionally have adult patients and also have paediatric children so there's an overlap and generally if you you should look at your paediatric guidelines for wherever you're maybe but generally it's not just a kid with caries it's a kid who needs sedation or other needs or um you know severe medical um medical problems or learned disabilities that then would need to be seen by cds not just a kid with caries um which you know when i was working in cds it was always a griper of mine like this kid has caries like yes 
no, you know, obviously. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you need to send them to see me. In fact, it's probably better that you see them because actually you have continuity of care and able to deliver preventive messages, whereas I will do one course of treatment and discharge him, and then you'll probably refer him back in six months. And it's not good for the patient. Um, so, yeah, although I don't see paediatric patients anymore, so... <laughs> I went, when I um I seen a patient recently actually um who was a adult patient that really was wanting inhalation sedation. Do you think that that is something that really does work? Because there's a lot of like debate of whether inhalation for adults is really suitable or whether it should be IV. But do, what's your experience? I think it depends it? on the patient. Um, I had when before um a few years ago I couldn't offer intravenous sedation so it was inhalation sedation or local anaesthetic and actually a lot of patients um, inhalation sedation is much better for than IV because it's it's more treating their phobia so if you have somebody who's just I'm anxious I'm you just have to knock me out I IV sedation doesn't treat their phobia it just enables them to have dentistry whereas if you can try and wean them into having less invasive um, forms of um, behaviour management so if they can then have a little bit of in- inhalation sedation to then help them with the anxiety and then generally sometimes you can wean pe- you can sometimes patients can then tolerate even without because they've got to know you they trust you they feel a bit less anxious because they experience also inhalation sedation works really well if you've got a really hypersensitive gag reflex um, it's all patient dependent and also operator dependent as well yeah. you can't just stick a mask on someone and expect the gas to work you yeah. need to be able to do that you know, you're on a beach, you're on a nice beach, just walking on the beach, and you've got a nice cocktail, and you can hear the waves crashing. And Yeah, so you have to... It, it depends. There's a patient that my colleague sees at Guys, and whenever um, she comes in, she has inhalation sedation, and whenever we're in an open bay, I love being next to her, because you can just hear... It really affects this patient a lot. She put the mask on, she's just babbling away, and then she doesn't remember anything afterwards. So it has a real profound effect on her, and she's not even having a very a large amount of nitrous oxide. So it is quite patient dependent as well and operator operation dependent so i wouldn't really like doing a root canal treatment can, up at the front if you had an inhalation or you can wean down the percentage mm-hmm. as well all the time yeah exactly um, as you build their trust yeah um, so i think there are benefits to yeah definitely um, but it, people do assume that sedation is straight to iv for yeah. adults but that that is their nice that nice in between yeah. and it's sometimes patients prefer it because you don't have the effects of sedation for the rest of the day they don't have to come with an escort um, and sometimes having in some CDSs that might be more available to them than an intravenous sedation appointment. Um, so there are definitely advantages to it. But I know what you mean. I've, I've heard. You've got a nice soothing voice for it as well, so I'm sure it would work. <laughs> I'll be coming to you. If <laughs> You're also an NHS clinical entrepreneur as well. So do you have any like um, you know projects, activities that you think people should get involved with or could get involved with? Undergrads, students, or even postgrads. I think it's a, a just awareness of uh, the NHS structure um, that, you know, I don't think anyone fully understands it. Um, <laughs> but just being awareness of the different NHS bodies, um, who does what and what their roles are, is something that I definitely had no clue about as, as, a, as a student. Um, so just, you know, being aware. Um, if you're a local dentist, I'd definitely um, get to know who your commissioner is, um, get involved via um, things like their local dental network or local dental committee, or if they are in a specialty, their um, managed clinical network work because then that's how you feed into decision making a lot you know there's a culture of stepping back and moaning about decision makers and policy makers but if you're just going to sit there and moan about it and not do anything about it you know what can you expect if you want to make um an impact and influence decisions you need to be able to know who the right people are and actually feed in your clinical input because actually 
people who make decisions aren't big bad evil people often they just don't really know or they're not informed of and they don't really know what's things on the front line if you make that connection and reach out to them often if they need to, if they want your opinion for something later on they'll remember and oh i know asha i need to go and speak to her about you know there's a service i want that we want to commission how are we going to do it how are we going to collaborate and work together with commissioners and um, clinicians and patients and design the best service for everybody. So just finding out who your local commissioner and decision maker is or your chief exec in your hospital that you work in or your clinical director, don't be afraid to just be like, hi, um, if you ever need me, like make an introduction. It's just that first introduction that, you know, um, is the scary part. And actually, once you get to know these people, you know, um, it's not that bad. I think it's such a good point because I think that the profession sometimes, you know, feels isolated that some of the decisions are being made out with their control and they're getting told to do things but I don't think that a lot of the dental profession realise that they can have such a large part in it like you said the local dental networks the local clinical networks the um, managed clinical networks they're open and available for people to get involved mm-hmm. in so yeah. I think that that's can, such a good point to be raised or a non-commissioner attend these meetings uh, a local GDP, if they pay their levy, can go to the local dental networks or sit in. They just have to find out who their local dental network, um, local dental committee, sorry, um, chair is, and yeah. um, ask if they can sit in and they can attend. There's other ways to get involved as well. Local, uh, the BDA have lots of local um, councils or committees that you can get involved in. Um, you know, they, there's you know, there's lots of elections going on at BDA at the moment, and always the same people are elected. Um, so maybe if anyone wants to make a decision, they can get. <laughs> Uh, influence them. I'm not saying the BDA are bad, uh, a um, bad organisation, but you just see the same names. You just see them all the time. Uh, so it'd be nice to see some fresh faces who actually want to make, you know, from you know some young, more diverse backgrounds, perhaps um, influence these big organisations. Yeah, I think 100%. And I think that that's purpose of this podcast as well. You know, for us to get people like you on to like you know share what you're doing because you're a young professional but you've got so much under your belt and you've actually got so much knowledge and experience that can be shared with people so we've been so happy to have you on um but we do have a specific final question we, have, we need to we ask one final sort of fun question that we always ask of our guests okay um it's just manual or electric <laughs> <laughs> It's an important question. <laughs> is it for myself or my patient? For you. For you. Or in general. Or in general, yeah. It's not. It's just your first response. <laughs> you have 10 seconds. I have 10 seconds. <laughs> I would say electric for me. Um, any toothbrush would be great for many of my patients. So whatever, you, whatever they can tolerate. Why do you think electric for yourself? Um, because um, it... I just like, I've got used to it. I never used to. Uh, I was persuaded by a specific rep of a specific company to try a, a specific toothbrush. And um, actually, I quite like it. And it's just a bit easier. And actually, now I know how long I brush my teeth for. Um, Your little timer. And, and Do it, you use it? Yeah, and it flashes different colours. And Pretty stuff. sure mine's uncharged, sitting at the back of my cupboard somewhere. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but we've had so much fun having you on. You've literally given so much information, and you should be so proud of all the stuff you're doing as well, because mm, you're doing you. amazing. Um, in terms of you being here today, is there anything else you want to highlight or share with the profession? No, I think I've got, you know, all my passions you've kind of 
Twiddle twid out of me. Um, but I'm very open if anyone wants to contact me on via my blog or by Twitter. I, I'm addicted to Twitter. Oh, are you? Yeah, so um, it's at natb990. Like, either same on Instagram as well. I'm just, yeah, it's, I need to stop it uh, sometimes. Um, but yeah, Social if you, media queen. It's <laughs> already queen, just addict maybe. Uh, but yeah, if anyone needs need to contact me about anything, happy to, um, to help in any way possible. And we'll be posting Natalie's um, information and contact details as well on our Instagram and our social media pages because I am also guilty of being a little bit of an addict. <laughs> I had one question that I wanted to ask, more kind of from a personal, but you know being a female in a leadership role and being in dentistry Mm -hmm. um, do you ever feel or have you ever noticed any biased unconscious or conscious at all or did you ever do you ever think that's a thing um I I haven't really experienced it and the reason I think I haven't experienced is that the field I work in mostly is female dominated anyway um so special care and pediatrics have a really heavy female influence with the specialty um although I do work with males as well I'm not saying it's a female only specialty um but um I yeah no I'm not really I mean there are certain conferences I've been to that I look around and I think there's not much diversity here gender wise or you know culturally wise um and I don't feel myself to be affected by the fact that I'm a female or not I mean I really admire strong female um leaders and people who've had to overcome the barrier of their gender to be able to get where they are um and it does frustrate me when you go to some places when some conferences and you don't have that you know um gender balance of who's being represented in the profession especially when our profession is becoming more and more more female dominated but I think because I work in specialty that's we've always been quite um Girl, girl power. Um, <laughs> and I hate saying that, sorry. <laughs> We're not editing that one, that'll be staying on. <laughs> hashtag girl power. Hashtag girl power. <laughs> no, special care is not just a girl specialty, guys. Um, please, please join us. I need some strong clinical holding. <laughs> yes, you never know, man. You may be. The special care Next. guy at uni, he was, he was a guy, so yeah. <laughs> there, there's women and guys. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I just don't want to misrep the. So I thought I'd chop it in for balance. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, thank you. Yeah, that's so great. Yes. Um, thanks for coming on. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll post all um, your social media media handles so people can contact you if they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.